0: One, two, three. Hello, and whilst this week's sport zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxton, and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we have Jane Sweetman from the Sweet and Celtic podcast. How's your week been, mate?
1: Yeah, tremendous week, Rob. We're getting into the summer now, aren't we? There's been some fantastic work in the world of boxing. A massive final to preview for Manchester United, and indeed one for Manchester City as well. And I can't wait to break it down with you.
0: Yeah, loads and loads to go out on the sports zone on Salford City Radio tonight. We're joined by Paul Whiteside from the Devil in the Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford.
2: Certainly, I'm Yeah, It's going to be an action-packed show, and there's been so much going on over the weekend in in all sports that we we cover. And I'm not sure how we're going to fit it into the show, but yeah, looking forward to chatting uh, all things sport, mate. Yeah, and we'll start with Rugby League and Salford Devils. Paul, they went down
0: to defeat against Wigan Warriors at the AJ Bell Stadium surrounded by crowd it was a great day very entertaining game but unfortunately Salford old boy Jackson Hastings came back and spoiled the party with a last minute drop goal
2: he did yeah but I mean that just shows you the professionalism of Wigan and Jackson Hastings it was a fantastic match I mean you know, people have questioned Salford over the last couple of weeks and, and questioned the coach and Know, said we're not good enough and, and, and other things as well on top of that but I think I think we, we, we proved a lot of people wrong on, on Saturday with the performance I thought we played really really well the, the game could have gone either way it was so close it was a fantastic advert for the sport I think the guys over on Radio Manchester actually said it's the best game they've seen all season so I think that's quite a quite a compliment Matt, for both sides. And it was. It was a fantastic match. Great to have crowds in there. Really entertaining. It was end-to-end stuff. It was like two boxers going toe-to-toe. That's how I describe the game. There really was nothing in it at all. Salford had led for, for most of the game up until the last three minutes. So, uh, so yeah, I think we were very unlucky to, to not get something out of that game, Rob. And I think it's going to do the, the, the players the world of good, the, the confidence boost that they're going to get. they played two tough games in the matter of less than a week against the, the two grand final teams from last year in St. Helens and Wigan. And All right, we got... We got niled against St Helens, but we did some good work and worked very hard in that game. And then took the took a bit of confidence out of that game and, and played some really good stuff against Wigan. Scored, you know, two excellent tries, and it we, was we, very unlucky. So uh, we've got we, we've got a back up against Guwinton on Thursday now. So it's another another tough week for us. But there are signs there now. There's partnerships developing, and you know we we started to play to a structure, and we're looking off a lot better than we did about a month or so ago. So we, we're making progress and going in the right direction, which is a pleasing thing for the supporters, the players, and the coach.
0: Yeah, very exciting. I thought I thought Salford showed great intensity. I thought it was the best best performance so far this season. And as fans, we need we want to see improvement. And I feel that Richard Marshall is giving that to us at the moment. The players started to gel, like you said. Partnerships are important. And we're moving forward now, Paul. You know, the world is our Russia. We've got a big game against against um. Warrington on Thursday, and it's kind of an opportunity really to, to to tweak it a bit because obviously we did play well against Wigan, but we didn't we didn't win. And I think Richard Marshall talks about the smarts and and how how the players kind of will need to improve in that area. And it kind of shows really that we're on our way to being a playoff side. We're not there quite yet, but we're taking good steps.
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think. We've made a bit of progress over the last few weeks. I mean, you look at the the, the Castleford game in the uh, in the league. We wasn't that far off, to be honest. We played Castleford in the cup, and it was a golden point defeat. You know, losing to a drop goal from another ex-all player, Gareth O'Brien. As I said before, there was positives in that St Helens game. We we matched them for you know for large periods of that game and, and worked really hard in that game. And then obviously this game against Wigan was a was another tough one, but one we could have got something out of with a bit bit steadier play. So you know, we've probably not been playing on that much sort of confidence because we've not been scoring loads of points and perhaps that was our Achilles heel at the weekend, really. But we was well in that game and, you know, Super League's that sort of competition where you've got a backup week in, week out and, you know, the fixture's not been kind for Salford so far. I mean, in the seven games we've played, we've won one and lost six. I mean, some people might say that's a poor start to a season but you played St. Helens twice two away games alright one of them was in a neutral ground but those are the two away fixtures against Satan we played the, the runners-up in Wigan and we've also had a difficult game going over to Catalan, uh, France to play Catalan so not an easy start so it's it's been tough and you know, it's a new coaching set-up, new players. I think we're starting to see now positives and good performance. You know, Harvey Lovett, I think he's been a shining light for us up to now, uh, amongst other players as well. So, uh, so yeah, things, things are looking a bit brighter for us now. And it's up, up to us to take the opportunities in the next couple of weeks and get some results. Because if we do go the next three or four matches and don't win one, then we are really staring down the barrel. Then, so it's important now, next few weeks, we start getting some victories.
0: Yeah, I spoke to Richard Marshall after the game. And this is what he had to say. Right, Ricky's Rob. Hey Rob. Uh, defeat today against Wigan. Talk us through it.
3: Yeah, it was uh, it was a, it was a close contest, something that we've not really experienced before. Um, and uh, I thought we, we we rode the punches really well. I thought we, at times we were very good, especially with the ball. I thought our attack was pretty good. Uh, defended our line, but we had a couple of blips there in around the middle uh, where they got over too easy um, off the back of probably not. Not doing what we said we were going to do at half time, which was complete the first couple of sets, kick the ball and uh, and put them in corners. And we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't manage to do that. But you know what, we were th- two or three minutes away from from, from winning the game. But well, we were drawing, weren't we, at the time? We'd have needed to something out, something else to go our way.
0: Yeah, you talk about the smarts a lot. Do you think that ultimately won that won the game for Wigan?
3: Yeah, they've got a, they've got a solid team, haven't they? Of internationals, experienced players played in grand finals. Uh, everything that goes with that we've, we've got a really really dogged workman like team and uh, we're learning some tough lessons at the moment and um, yeah and it's not nice and it, it, the, the taste is not nice in our mouth but at the same time we've, we've got to dust ourselves down and go again against Warrington
0: yeah you must have been impressed with the intense levels and the discipline today
3: yeah, well, a lot better, uh, you know, and, and a lot better in, in a lot of areas. I think our completion was up around 80%, 79%, 80%, which is where it needs to be. Um, our, I think we won the penalty count, which we've not said that many times this year. I thought we, our, as I said, I thought our defence, we knew exactly what was what was happening defensively. We looked organised, uh, just clinical with the ball. Yeah, we just need to be better with the ball.
0: Yeah, Harvey Levet impressed again, a try and some goals. Uh, you know, he's a great talent
3: he is he's good and uh, yeah we didn't use him last week and I thought we uh, we got the benefit of, of a fresh invigorated Ivy Lovett and yeah, he's goal kicking and kicking and doing his job and he looks a handful he's he's he's, he's a big solid lad and uh, yeah we, you know we just need another 16 really that's all yeah Morgan Escalade back in the side as well as Declan Patton I think they linked up really well they did yeah they did alright we did it. We did all right. It looked, we'd had one session. So um, for Morgan to come in and, and do a good job. And again, he was limping around at the end of the game. And then, uh, and obviously deck. Yeah, he had some nice touches within that. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it'll be better for that, for that, uh, that game today.
0: Yeah, one on Thursday. Short turnaround, uh, but you're hoping you'll be able to put some of the farmers and hopefully win this time.
3: Let's hope so. Let's hope so. We can t- we can go toe to toe with another top team at the top of the table. Uh, learn from our mistakes learn from our errors um, our effort will, will be there It won't, that will never be questioned to, uh, just to make sure that we can seal the game Cheers Rick good luck thank you
0: so that was Richard Marshall talking to me after the game Paul and he, he was happy with, with, with what he'd seen he thought that his, his side showed great courage and, and
2: you're hoping obviously he can kick on from here yeah yeah I, I think so yeah we've got to do now we've got to take positives out of that game and move forward so uh, I'm sure they will do I mean it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough as I said before against uh, against Warrington but we've got to move on from that now and the players hopefully are starting to buy into Rich's um, philosophies. It's been difficult because we've had players missing again at the weekend. We had uh, Andy Akers out injured. We had Dan Sargent suspended. Lee Mossop missed the game through injury. So these are big guys in, in, in our side that are missing. So Joe Burgess is going to be coming back in the next couple of weeks. So how's he going to fit into that side? That's going to be a headache for Richard. But but yeah, we're starting to see Richard Marshall stamp his mark on the, on the team now, which is good. I mean, it's been a long time coming, but you know, these things take time. It's Super League's a tough competition and, you know, I think we're going to do okay. I've seen enough there in the last couple of performances to to not be worried about finishing bottom of the table and finishing near the bottom. I think we're going to be okay. Yeah, he talks about learning tough lessons,
0: Paula, and that's what it is. I think the players, to reach the playoffs, they need to, to get over these moments and, and learn from them and, and grow from them. And you're hoping Richard Marshall and the players can get together in this period now because it's going to get tough, obviously, Wigan... Uh, now, Warrington next week, I think it's hull Kingston, Rovers sort of the next game after that. Tough place to go, and it's about getting the mentality right and getting results.
2: Yeah, it certainly is. It, it certainly is, and and, and Warrington's going to be a tough a tough game. There's no doubt about that. And if you look a bit further ahead, we've got hull Kingston, Rovers coming up as well. We've got Huddersfield coming up in the month of June. Leeds Rhinos, we play them as well. So, they, they, the matches are going to be coming thick and fast, and and, yeah, it's up to us to take advantage now. And, uh, and this good work that we've done over the last few few games and the confidence that we're gaining now, we've got to put that into practice now and start winning matches. So, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how things pan out. But like I said before, I came out of the ground on Saturday. You know, I was disappointed that we lost the game, but in a, in a way I was quite cheerful as well because... I was pleased with the effort that the players have put in, and I think a lot of Salford supporters are the same. We have that same mindset. We we expect 100% off the off the side, and you know we we're not we've not been spoiled over the years like maybe Saint Helens and Wigan fans have. We don't expect our side to to win before 40, 50 points every week. We just want to see a performance, and I think we've seen that over the last couple of games. You, you can't doubt the the effort and the endeavour that the players have put in. So so things things are looking a lot brighter than they were. and And yeah, I'm excited for Thursday night. I think Warrington are a champion side with some world-class players in their ranks as well. So I think they're a team that we can exploit as well. I don't think their defence is perhaps as good as Wigan and St. Helens. And we can score points against them. So Thursday's going to be another cracking game. Really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Another exciting thing going on on this week's show, uh, Paul. I managed to speak uh, to South Red Devils director Paul Trainer about the, the club's plans in the community, involving the schools and the local amateur clubs, and trying to basically helping the club integrate and with the with people who want to get involved in Rugby league and also the people in the area because it's important bit Salford, having no benefactor that it helps in the community and the community help it. So I spoke to Paul Trainer. This is a highlight reel of what I had to say to him. And here it is now. Yeah. see so you say being a long time fan and now obviously a director of the whole, uh, the club's holding company, does, does it, do you have to kind of work it differently to take that sort of fan sort of mentality out?
4: Um Yeah, it's, yeah, that that's really important. And it's hard to, um you know, because, there are times where you want to want to make a decision based on being a fan. And and that's, you know, something that we we've got to remove from our thinking. And I think that there's a number of us on the, on the clubs, uh, holding company board who are in that situation, who are really, you know, long-term fans of the club and want the club to be successful and want it to do really well. Um, So it's important that we kind of detach that from, from our decisions that, that ignites our fire. It gives us our passion to make these decisions, but actually we've got to make good, strong business decisions for the club uh, rather than kind of just, you know, what you'd want to see necessarily as a fan. But I also think it's, it's really valuable because we have got an insight as a fan um, and and a member of the community. So, you know, that gives us an insight that sometimes probably clubs, leadership groups don't have. Um, because they're not fans; that they're in there as part of a business, or because they put the money in. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's it's a double-edged sword. In, in some ways, it's really good because it's it it gives us the drive to do what we're doing. Um, but you know, it's sometimes you just need to rein it in a little bit and remember the decisions are business decisions um, and and rugby decisions rather than just being a fan.
0: Yeah, because I think that's the important part in it. Because obviously, schools will get the ticket, and it's it's how you manage to motivate. The teachers and the school to take that next step and, and engage again. I think that's the that's the important question. How how do you how do you do that?
4: Um, the first thing is is the quality of the product. So whether we're visiting a school, um, you know, whether it's the certificate that all of our school partners are going to have up in their reception area, whether it's the resources that we're using, the, the players when they go to visit these schools, all of those things have got to be top, absolute top class and memorable. Um, and, you know, it's, it's then that you just start to build that affinity for young people with the club and curiosity and, you know, wanting to be attached to the club in some way, shape or form, get them to a game and enjoy it, but then follow it up. Um, and, you know, that, that's not something that's going to happen overnight. But what it is, is, is something that we, we've started to build on very quickly and got a lot of interest, you know, within three weeks in terms of the school stuff the community club work that, that uh, roles and, and the foundation have been doing, um, you know, has started off really well. Um, some, some, you know, huge strides made in that in a very short space of time with, with, uh, the rising stars events that have been going on. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's fantastic. Um, the one thing that we're benefiting from here is in terms of community clubs, we've got, you know, we're really fortunate that we've got fantastic community clubs run by great people. Um, and also the schools, you know, we've, we've got a bit, we've got a very, very big market to work to, a, a huge reach. Um, we've contacted 500 schools plus in the past four weeks um, and, and had responses from significant numbers of them. You know, we've got all, over 50 schools already signed up as partners. Um, you know, so it's it's building that momentum and making sure that what we're offering is good quality. Um, and, and, you know, people, the, the Salford Red Devils name will be at the forefront of people's conversations.
0: Yeah, and also like we've we've said, on the other side of the coin, you're engaging with our, our local amateur sides, you know, allowing players to go and coach that, you know, the next generation. And, you know, the engagement is is the important thing. A lot of, you know, in distant history, the, the engagement hasn't really been there, but now it, it's it's there for all to see.
4: Yeah, yeah. And again, credit to to, to to Rolls who's put together, you know, a very strong player ambassador. Um, um Programme. So each, each amateur club has, or each community club has, those same ambassadors going to all of their events. So rather than it kind of being a token appearance from a player, we want our first team squad to be embedded in the culture of the community clubs. So the same players are going to the clubs throughout the year to all the different events, coaching, getting to know the kids as well, because our players are fantastic role models. And you can see as a young player coming through, if you've got if you're being coached or given a, a little tip by one of the first team stars for us, you know, that's that's huge um, and, and will inspire these kids even further. So it's yeah, it's what we've got is, is you know, a very, very clear plan um, and we are seeing huge amounts of progress at the minute, both community clubs and schools. So that was Paul Trainer
0: talking to himself about the things that the club are looking to do in, in the community. You can listen to the full interview on the Devil in Detail podcast. Paul and Paul Trainer, he's come in. He's got big ideas about how he feels the club should be viewed in in the community, and he's got good plans to get us there.
2: Yeah, he certainly has. Yeah, we've seen to have got that that core of people now that are working at the club, and and they've they've got some good ideas, and, and there seems to be a good network of people there. You know, you got Paul King, Paul Trainer. You know, Bleasy there as our, our chief exec as well. They all work together as a team and uh, they're all bouncing ideas off each other. So it's a good core of people we've got working at the club and everything seems to be it seems to be going well at the moment. I know there's been been issues about the stadium and, and things like that, which we're gonna probably hear more about in the coming months and I don't know how that's all gonna pan out. So it's that, that's gonna be a bit nerve uh, wracking for us. But the rest of the stuff I think I think we're doing well. I think off the field we've we, we've done well for the last couple of seasons. Things have gone nice and quiet and we've been making progress. So uh, you we're know, working in the skills and the foundation and things that like, I think we've got spot on at the moment. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to the good work that we can we can finish off.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously, before we start talking about Swinton Lions, our other local rugby league side, Paul, a rugby league great recently passed away. Uh, tell, us, tell us who and, and, and tell us all about him.
2: Yeah, Bobby Fulton. Um, as we're recording this show Sunday night, uh, Bobby Fulton. I'm not so sure that it was earlier on today when he passed away, but you know, rugby league supporters will, will remember Bobby as being a, a fantastic player in, over in Australia, playing for Manly. He played for Australia, you know, Test player, and went on to coach the Kangaroos as well. So uh, quite a household name over there in Australia. Born in in Warrington, played for Warrington 6970 season. He came over 16 tries, I think, in 16 matches for them, but also played against Salford in uh, 1973 in a test game on, on a tour match at, at the Willows in, in Australia. Pip Salford that day, they were a fantastic side, Australia. They won 15-12 in that game, in a real ding-dong game. Bobby Fulton scored a hat-trick that day. So, you know, Salford supporters of a, of a certain age will remember him in, uh, playing in, in test games against Great Britain. So, uh, he was 74 years of age and he'll be a, a big loss to over there in Australia. Great character in the sport as well, as I said, coached the Kangaroos in the 80s and the 90s as well. And, to some fantastic wins over Great Britain, so uh, so yeah, a rugby league immortal there has, has passed away.
0: Yeah, thoughts so and thoughts so were these friends and family at this at this time, uh, Paul. Talking about our other club, Swinton Lions, they faced to lose and lost 66 points to 18. Toulouse are at a top side, uh, tipped to go up into Super League this year, so Swinton Lions probably weren't expected to, to win. But they had a good side to lose. They put a lot of effort into it and that's all you can ask for. That's all Shooter Little can ask for.
2: Yeah, a bit of a mismatch, really. I mean, to lose at the moment are absolutely on fire. They absolutely battered uh, Whitehaven away from home the week before, and I actually put money on Whitehaven to win that game, so uh, just shows what I know. But, you know, Whitehaven's a tough place to go, and they absolutely dismantled them. You know, we've been there with Salford, haven't we? And seen Salford come and stuck up there at, at the recreation ground. So to lose a very professional side, a very professional outfit. I mean, Really, they're probably a Super League side in waiting, really. Them and Featherstone are going to be the standout sides this season, you would have thought. But at the moment, it's Toulouse who are, who are top of that table due to the amount of points that they're scoring and the way they're putting teams away. I mean, Jonathan Ford, the halfback, we saw him play against Salford a few years ago in that, that qualifier game. And, you know, Toulouse had a, had, a, had a good game against us that night. I think Jackson Hastings scored a, a try in that game. And, um, you know, we, we won the match in there. But they showed a lot of potential. I think since then, they, they, they've really built things there in the south of France. And they're going to be the team to beat. I mean, it's tough for Swinton. They've had they've had a real tough start to the season. They they come up short a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've had a couple of um, agonizing defeats as well. So I, I think their their first win's got to be around the corner. They've just got to keep working hard. And it's always going to be tough for them against sides like Featherstone, Toulouse, York City Knights as well. These are these are good sides with a lot of full time professionals in the ranks as well. So it's only going to be tough for Swinton, but you know, they'll be hoping to pick up some results sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, we got Batley this week away. Paul, hopefully they
2: can uh, they can get a win there. Yeah, another tough place to go, Rob Mount Pleasant. You know the big slope there. We we, we all know about that. When you go there, you, you you've got to be. You've got to have a bit of points behind you, haven't you, before you play up that slope, if you play a bit in the second half. So that'll be tough. They've made a decent start to the season, been a bit in and out. But, you no, know, Swinton will be looking at that that game and thinking, you know, Batley are more on sort of a level playing field than us. I mean, to lose it's a big ask. You're talking a big ask against them and, and, and the likes of Featherstone. So, uh, so yeah, they'll be looking to go and get a result there. No reason why they can't. They've got some wily players at Swinton there. Martin Ridyard, I think, was an excellent signing for them, amongst others. Uh, so, yeah, they were looking for a good performance. are looking for an improved performance, definitely.
0: Yeah, that's all our rugby league chat on the Sports Zone this week. And now it's James and Paul talking boxing. Well, there's only one place to kick off, Paul, and that's with the
1: undisputed super lightweight champion of the world, Josh Taylor, who went to the United States of America, Las Vegas to be precise, and defeated Jose Ramirez in what was an absolutely exceptional fight. The Mexican started well. He was giving it everything he had. He was really putting it on Josh Taylor. In fact, it looked early on like Ramirez could potentially cause an upset, but Josh Taylor rode through the adversity, as he often does. Found some great shots. The left uppercut, in particular, being the standout. He was able to beat Jose Ramirez to become the first ever British undisputed world champion in the four-belt era. What a fighter he is!
2: Oh, fantastic, fantastic to take those belts. And you know, it's a pretty close fight, wasn't it? Unanimous decision, wasn't it? And there wasn't a lot between the. I think all the judges scored it the same. It? it was one, one, four, one, one, two. So, not a lot in the fight at all. Um, but a great fight. And and and, it, and Josh Taylor's been a, been a tremendous boxer over the last few years. And I think he's just stamped his authority now on the sport and on on that on his division. Um, and where does he go from here? There's some some big fights out there for him at that weight. There's some big British fights out there, I think, for him if he fancies taking him on. But you've got to look up at a weight higher. I think there's some massive fights if he was to move up a weight. But uh, but no, fantastic fighter and deserves all the accolades. I thought it was a you know a textbook performance from him, really, the way he fought. And um, you know you know great great to see another British champion, definitely.
3: I
1: mean, last week we said that maybe people were writing off Ramirez. Maybe it was better than people giving him credit for. And from watching the fight last night, I don't think I gave Ramirez a lot, uh, enough credit. I mean, he was absolutely exceptional. And I think that just shows how good Josh Taylor is.
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think Ramirez has been, been a tremendous fighter. And, uh, you know, he's very, very highly ranked in the rankings and, and was before the fight. And, you know, give him an awful lot of credit for that. But I think with, with Josh Taylor, you're looking at, you're looking at a man who's who's at an elite level now, a real elite level. There should be some super fights out there for him now, um, mm-hmm. and he's a special fighter, a real special fighter. And you know, there's not that many of those guys about, is there? Not in not in our small country. So, uh, so yeah, deserves an awful lot of credit. And you know, he's got those belts now. And when you've got those belts, people are going to want to challenge you now. There's going to be big fights for him. His phone's going to be ringing now. His promoter's phone's going to be ringing. There's going to be some super fights made now. But depends what he wants to do. Whether he wants to move up, you know, you look at the, the, the weight division above him, there's some huge names just above there. Uh, if he moves up to Welterweight, Terence Crawford, Daryl Spence, Sean Porter, people like that, you know, in, in America, uh, you've got down at his weight, you, you know, you've got domestic dust ups against Jack Catrell, Lewis Ritson, things like that. Would he want to do something like that in Scotland and sell out against a British fighter? I'm not too sure. Will's his oyster now. The fights are out there for him. It just depends which way he wants to go. Jack Cattrall,
1: you just mentioned there from Charlie, is his mandatory challenger. He was, of course, paid step-aside money for Josh Taylor versus Ramirez to have even been made in the first place. Is it time for that big domestic showdown? Has Cattrall got anything in the tank to give Taylor problems?
2: I'd say definitely. I mean, you know me, James, I love a domestic dust-up. I mean, you can fight the Americans, the Mexicans, great fights, you know, great fights away from home in America under the lights in some fantastic arenas in front of thousands of people, but you know, boxing purists like us, we like the British contest, don't we? Um, There's something about them, something that that sets that, you know, that sets that excitement. And I think Jack Cattrall is, yeah, if he wants to step up to that level, there's only one way you find it'd be an awful tough night for him against against Taylor, it really would. But, you know, I think he's ready for that test now. And I think that's the fight I'd like to see. I think if you have that, you know, up in Scotland, I think you'd sell out arenas in Glasgow up there for that. I think you, you, you do that in the Glasgow arena, you sell that out ten times over. I think it'd be a great fight. And, and and why not? Why not at all? That's one I'd really like to see. But I'd also like to see him step up to Welterweight. I think that'd be tremendous. That that is that is a special a special weight division, isn't it? We talk about the guys up there, you know, people like Kel Brook in there, British fighters as well. But Alexis Errol Spence and and Terence Crawford, people like that. If you can start challenging them, then that's when you do become, you know, a real dynasty in in boxing. So that would be the way I'd go if I was him. But, you know, he's got time on his side and and, and just watch his space, see where he goes.
1: Well, you mentioned stepping up to welterweight there. It's interesting you say that because he's called out pound for pound king, Terence Crawford, Josh Taylor wants to move up to the division, challenge Crawford, somebody who nobody seems to want to go near, but Josh Taylor is running towards the challenge. Is that a bridge too four or, you know,
2: they're both pound for pound stars. Has Taylor got a chance in that one? I think so. But I was looking, I was reading it today, the, the rankings of welterweight, and you look at it. And it's like a who's who of boxing, isn't it? You have Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence Jr., Sean Porter, Mikey Garcia. Danny Garcia, Jesse Vargas, the, the people that are named there. Kel Brook as well. I mean, perhaps he's coming towards the end of his his career now, the, the twilight of his career. But they're all massive household names, aren't they, in the sport? And if you were Josh Taylor, you'd be rubbing your hands, wouldn't you, looking at those? And you remember a few years ago... we. Well, quite a while ago now with Kyle Froch. He seemed to be fighting guys like that every fight, didn't they? they were all like massive fights and, and taking on everybody in the division. And and to me, Josh Kelly's got that perfect opportunity to go down the Kyle Froch route now of just not sort of ducking anybody and just taking them all on. And and what a legacy that would leave you if you was to do that. So if I was him, that's what I'd want to do. You want to test yourself, don't you? No doubt about it. There are going to be some tough fights, out not there? Like you said, no one wants to go near Crawford, but... For me, if, if you've got that talent, he must have some talent if he holds all them belts and the way he's been going so far in his career. Why not get in there? And you only, you've only only got one career, haven't you? And it's a short career, really, boxing. So, yeah, get in there and test yourself.
1: Maybe the most interesting prospect about that fight is that they were both undisputed champions at Super Lightweight. And I don't think ever in boxing history two undisputed champions have gone toe-to-toe before. But my question to you is, Paul, which of the pair has the better resume out of Taylor and Crawford?
2: Uh, I think Taylor. I think Taylor, to be honest really, I back the British fighter and I think he's, you know, seen him over the last couple of years building up to this. I mean, he's had some fantastic nights, hasn't he, up in Scotland and some fantastic wins and, you know, maybe not been as active as he would like to have been with the pandemic and things like that. But I think he's shown now his skills and his talent, you know, taking those belts and I thought it was a it was a. It was a Near, not near perfect performance at the weekend from him and a performance that showed an awful lot of guts and desire as well and also a lot of skill the way he moves around the ring so so yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of him and, and can't wait to see him in some of these humongous fights in the future
1: Sticking with the theme of Terence Crawford his fight with Manny Pacquiao fell apart not too long ago and Errol Spence jumped on it straight away tried to get the Manny Pacquiao fight himself it's got over the line they will be going head-to-head on August 24th where does that leave Crawford? What do you think he'll make of this? I mean, he's been chasing Pacquiao and Spence for years. He's got neither, and now they're fighting each other.
2: Yeah, it's a bit of a body blow for him, isn't it? When you're a fighter and you've been chasing him and you're waiting for that opportunity, aren't you? Then when, when you see something like this happen, it must be a bit soul-destroying for him, but you no, know, they still got time, hasn't to make these big fights and, you know, sometimes it's about being in the right place at the right time, isn't it? With we, we, boxing, so uh, so yeah, disappointing for him, but what can you do? It's one of those things sometimes in the sport.
1: What do you make of the fight itself? Manny Pacquiao, obviously a legend, but Errol Spence, one of the very best in the world right now.
2: It's a tough one. I mean, Manny, Manny Pacquiao just seems to keep going, doesn't it? I mean, his career's gone on for an awful long time, no fantastic record, and he's been in some, some great fights, and yeah, it's probably going to be a tough one to call. I mean, people sometimes write Manny Pacquiao off, but he seems to to come back and 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 prove you wrong, doesn't he? So it's one I'm definitely looking forward to seeing. And You know, we, we've been longing for some of these fights for a while now, and hopefully we're going to start getting to see them.
1: Most certainly. I mean, Manny Pacquiao, an eight way world champion, one of the greatest there's ever been. How on earth is he still fighting at such a high level at forty two years of age? What does it mean if he beats Errol Spence?
2: I think it just just the extent his legacy. He's already got a fantastic legacy, like he said at 42 years of age. There, that that takes something special. But I think an awful lot of that is down to his nutritionist, his his fitness, his coaching, his backroom team. They keep him in peak condition. You know, every time you see him on the scales and you see him in a fight, he doesn't look like he's aged at all. I mean, sometimes you can look at a box and you can say, yeah. He's aged overnight and he looks he looks like he's finished now and he, he's not got anything left. But you can't say that about Manny Pacquiao. He just seems to get better with age, doesn't he, really? So it's, it is is hard to believe he's 42 years of age sometimes. But, but yeah, I think if he can knock this one off, that's another notch on what has all, already been an absolutely marvellous career.
1: Yeah, and going back to British shows now, Sam Egerton fought Molina on Saturday night and came away with a hard-fought victory.
2: He did, he did, I watched that fight at the weekend and um, it was a tough night, it really was a tough night, you know he said that in his interview afterwards, he, he knew what he was expecting against a Mexican fighter, I don't think he'd fought a Mexican before and he knows how they fight, they've always got a tremendous left hook and every Mexican seems to have that punch in their armory, don't they? So, um, and, and he, it was tough for him. It really was. It was a hard, grueling 12-round fight. But it was a fight where the judges, I thought, got got it right. To be honest with I think one of the cards was, was pretty wide and, and didn't give um, didn't give Molina a round. But I think Eggington won that fight by about five or six rounds for me. And yeah, he's he's in line now for for. For, for big fights, you know, it was a silver title that now. So he's put himself in a good place in the world rankings and I think he thoroughly deserves it. I mean, if you look at Sam Eggington's record, yeah, there's quite a few defeats on there and he's, he's took quite a few heavy defeats as well. But he's still only a relatively young man um, and he's been very well travelled in his, his sort of young, young, young career, really. But uh, he's been very, very active and gained an awful lot of experience on the job. Yeah, there's flaws in his in his fight, but one thing you can say about him he's a crowd pleaser and he's an entertainer. Every time you see a Sam Eggington fight, you you know you're in for for an entertaining night. He's a real gunslinger. And you know, I, I don't think people want it any other way though. I think that's how he how he fights and you've got to respect that. But yeah, there should be some big fights out for him there now.
1: Most certainly. And on Saturday night we have a collision on the opposite side of the Atlantic, and we'll kick it off with Showtime's event. Nordin Ungbali, the WBC bantamweight champion of the world, will be defending his title against the legendary Nenito Denaire. It's incredible, the Filipino flash, like you know, his countryman Manny Pacquiao, just seems to keep going and going and going. At his age now, has he got in it for one more world title?
2: Uh, I don't see why not I don't see why not. It's like I said about Manny Pacquiao before. If you've got that, that team around you and, and that fitness and that drive and that desire, you can do anything you want to do, can't you, really? So so why not? Why not have, have one more shot at it? Um, yeah, definitely. I, I think so. I think he's got one more shot in him.
1: And DeZone have a great fight themselves as Devin Haney takes on Jorge Linares. One last run for Jorge Lenares. I mean, we've seen him over here beating the likes of Kevin Mitchell and Anthony Corolla putting on superb performances. It could be argued, though, he's a little bit over the hill now. Is it Devin Haney's time?
2: I think, yeah, I think you'd have to say Devin Haney's the favourite, but I've always had a soft spot for Jorge Linares since he came over to to England to fight Anthony Corolla in those two two epic fights, and you know, he's always been one of my favourites since then, so I'll be I'll be cheering him on in that. But it's going to be tough for him, you know. He's the bookmaker's favourites by quite a distance, I believe. So it's going to be a tough night for Lenares. But he's been a special fighter, and sometimes these upsets happen. So I'm really looking forward to watching that, and I'll be uh, I'll be sat on the couch cheering Lenares on.
1: <laughs> I mean, Lenares, he's a free weight world champion. He spelled a bulk of his. Time fighting abroad. I mean, it's only recently, over the last like five or so years, that we've seen him in the UK and America. Do you think he's been an undervalued champion?
2: Yeah, I think so. He's been a very, very talented fighter. I mean, you saw that when he fought Anthony Crawler twice in those two fights. I mean, Anthony had been been a terrific fighter on these shores, and his stories. You know, we could have do a show on Anthony's story on its own, couldn't we? But I thought Jorge and as much as I'm an Anthony Crawler fan, and arrows became. A bit of a hero of mine in those those fights. I thought he was a, a real classy person, a uh, real good guy. And he, I don't want to be disrespectful to Anthony say Schooling, but he was he was a level above I thought. And um, you know, I I looked at him and I thought, well, I've never really heard much of this guy before, and surely I should have done because of the, of the skills he possessed. So uh, so yeah, sometimes that can happen in boxing. You don't, you know, the world's a big place, isn't it? And if, if guys aren't showcased on the television and on our screens, on Sky Sports and, and Channel Five and things like that, we don't always see people do it. So, so yeah, I think Lanaras has been a bit of a bit of a well kept a secret over the years, hasn't he? But you know, there's no doubt we know who he is now, and I'm looking forward to seeing him challenge against Devin Haney, definitely.
1: Yeah, and the American Devin Haney. I mean, he's got this WBC world title, but. You know, it was more of an email belt. It was only he only really got it because, you know, the WBC invented this franchise title, pushed tier female lopers up to that. And Devin Haney never actually had to fight a world champion to get that title. Is he being overhyped, Devin Haney? Because there's nobody on that record yet of any note.
2: Yeah, possibly. He's certainly gonna get a test against Lenaro's, there's no doubt about that. But yeah, when you talk about his record Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I agree with you there. there's, there's not anybody that I'd say is, is in sort of the world level, really. So, uh, so, yeah, he's only a relatively young guy, though, isn't he? Was he 22, 23? So he's got a, a massive career in front of him, and uh, he's been pretty active in his, his short career so far. So, so yeah, the, the is one is going to be a test for him. Mean, we've seen that over the years, haven't we, where, where young fighters have come up against sort of people towards the end of their careers and come up short. So this is a test he's got to pass now. This is, this is a step up for him. And if he's going to be the real deal, then he should he should be able to get the result against Linares. But no, nobody can take Jorge Linares lightly. He'll be prepared for this super fit guy. And, and let's hope he's still got it for one last hurrah because he's been a good fighter. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's, it's, it's a good fight that.
1: And the story we've been covering for what seems like the last six months, week in, week out, site deals, contracts, the finances. We've discussed everything to do with Joshua Fury, and it seemed to be almost nailed on to take place on August the fourteenth. We were finally there. Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren were saying it was just a couple of days away from being announced, and then Deontay Wilder won his arbitration case and forced a trilogy match up with Tyson Fury. Who's to blame for this fight not happening, Paul? I mean, of course, Wilder won his decision in court, but surely you know the Fury team should have. Accounted for that, they should have been aware this was going to happen. And you know, the match room team with Joshua Day should have been aware.
2: What's all gone wrong when you think about it? They've been talking about this, as you said, for maybe six months or so. Why did they get this deal sorted six months ago? And then we could have had this fight sorted and planned and ready before it even gone to court. Go. So I don't know. Sometimes it, it just seems to go round the houses, doesn't it? And I know there's an awful lot to be discussed, but when you think about it, you've got two boxers who want to fight each other. Surely, I mean. Perhaps I'm being a bit naive, but don't you just take a phone call? Get him on the phone, yeah. We want to fight each other, let's sign the contract. I mean, there can't be that much to discuss, but it just seems to go around the houses and all you know, the people get involved and I suppose there's, there's lots of money involved and things like that, but it just gets to me now whether we'll ever actually see this fight. I mean, will it drift away from us? I mean, I wouldn't say they were both old fighters, you know, Joshua and Fury, but, you know, if time ticks along and, you know, one goes another way and something happens in that Deontay Wilder fight... You know, what happens what happens if Deontay Wilder wins that fight does he then be, fight Anthony Joshua so will we ever get to see that 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 british clash between you know fury and joshua the one that the, the british public want to see i don't know i don't know what's going to happen now i mean we've got joshua
1: versus uh, usyk and deontay wilder versus tyson fury as a betting man how likely do you think it is that both of them win their respective
2: fights um it's a tough one it is a tough one I think I'd probably have Tyson Fury's favourite against Deontay Wilder it'd be a tough fight for him I'd probably have him his favourite though Anthony Joshua he's new to the heavyweight scene isn't he but a very very talented fighter we've seen that and he he seems to have tucked to the heavyweight like a duck to water really doesn't he very talented man and it'll be tough for Anthony Joshua there's no doubt about that but let's let's not put Anthony Joshua down he's a class fighter isn't he you know he's He's at the top of the charts, top of his game, isn't he? You know, only that one blemish on his record so far. Everybody else he's stood up against and he, he's beaten and been quite convincing as well. So I'd say that I'd, I'd have them both down as favourites in the respective fights, and, and let's hope they both come through, and then they can they can get that fight on. Let's hope that happens.
1: Yeah, which one of the pair do you think has the riskier fighter?
2: That's a, that is a mega tough question. Um, I think both both fights have. Both fights are tricky in their own in their own way, really, aren't they? Uzik he's, he's a very tough man. Um, as I said before, he's he's a different different measure at the moment. Is he coming into heavyweight? We've seen what he can do. He's pretty quick as well. Anthony Joshua, I'm not saying he's a he's, he's a robust fighter, isn't he? He's a different shape to and um, Will Will Uzek's movement be be too much for him? I mean that. That could be said about Tyson Fury as well. How's how's he going to deal with that man that that doesn't doesn't get hit that, that moves out of the way? You know, doesn't stand in front. Of you. I mean, a lot of Anthony Joshua's fights about being disrespectful to him. The, the guy he's been fighting has not been the quicker the quicker move around the ring. So that could be a really tricky fight for him. That regarding Joshua and I'm sitting on the fence a bit here, right? but regarding Tyson Fury and, and Deontay Wilder. That's a big risky fight for, for Fury. I mean, we know Deontay Wilder. He can hit you with something, and one punch can change everything in a fight. And if he lets that looping over and right go, and he catches you with it, it's good night Vienna. No matter no matter who you are, you can be the, the the toughest man in the world. If he catches you sweet with that, you're going to sleep. So, so I've sat on the fence on that question, but perhaps the Joshua Isak one. Perhaps that one is a, is a, is a banana, a potential banana skin for him.
1: And I have to wonder, where does this leave Joe Joyce? Because it was looking like he was going to be matched up with Usyk, and now he's completely left in the cold
2: yeah well that sometimes happens doesn't it in the sport as we mentioned before when we talking about some of the other weight divisions it does so I'm sure his team are going to have something planned for him and he's too talented to get left behind and I'm sure he'll get he'll get big fights you know you've got Dylan White who's going to be looking around for, for fights as well isn't he and that could be something that gets made a, a British matchup there perhaps this summer I'm not sure which way that's going to go you've got uh, Joseph Parker who's in looking for fights at the moment Derek Chisora is always there or thereabouts isn't he so I don't know I don't know how that goes It's it's unfortunate for him that this situation has occurred.
1: Most certainly. And that's all the boxing that we've got time for today. And now moving on to the ice hockey, Robin. GB have started their
0: world championship campaign in Latvia this weekend. How did it go? Yeah, yeah, two games this week. James first game was against Russia, and unfortunately suffered defeat. Uh, 7-1, they lost. But Russia are a very good team. We know about that in the Olympics, and and we've seen them play. And yeah, we got taught a lesson against them. But then we play Slovakia uh, today, which was which is Sunday, and it went it went down to defeat 2-1. But Slovakia are, are a good side, ninth in the world. We're 19th, and you could see the effort was there from the players. They dug deep. They had chances. Slovakia did. Sort of dominate play and dominate possession, but smash and grab ice hockey is 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 kind of the idea. I thought that Peter Russell had. We had chances, unfortunately, we weren't able to to convert them. But it was going to build confidence in in for the team because they know they can they can go against the teams like Slovakia and and compete. And another day, James, it could have been different. But two defeats in two de- two games but plenty, plenty to look forward
1: to. Yeah, there's much more to look forward to, Robert. Isn't over yet? I mean, who else have they got to face this week? Can you break down the fixtures?
0: Yeah, well, they've got they've got Denmark on on Tuesday. Uh, we we who are a good side. Uh, Belarus on on the Wednesday because they kind of play two sort of two games over a two day period. Uh, Belarus are kind of fifth in the table at the moment. Denmark are just above them in fourth. So we we're, we're bottom on the uh, eighth position. But that shouldn't really put you know the the, the team and the fans off because. This early in the contest we just got to get one good result and that'll sort of bounces up the, up the league we finished with uh, Sweden on Friday so if you look if you look at them three fixtures if we can if we can get one or two out of them out of them who, who knows what might happen James who have been the standout players so far Rob standout players so far for, for team GB Liam Kirk um, top got top goal scorer at the moment and um, 4GB, two goals in two games. He is an exceptional talent. Still young, he plays for Arizona at the moment. But people will be looking at this kid and thinking if he can score goals at their top top level, you know he's going to be worth getting a contract. And there's going to be a big club circling him. Also, Ben Ben Bowes, who's, who's a goalkeeper for Great Britain, made 42 saves today against uh, Slovakia, which is <laughs> which is a really really big amount. Like I said, it was it was very tough. Slovakia did keep the uh, the puck a lot, uh, but he was there to make the saves. Uh, Dallas Earhart was in defence as well for Team GB, so there's plenty to look forward to uh, going forward. And I'm excited to see what happens in the next couple of days.
1: Most certainly, Rob. Are there any particular teams that you think you know could win this tournament?
0: Well, you, you've got to look at sort of Russia. They're, they're a they're a big side, top side. Germany are in the in the other group as well. Um, Kazakhstan, USA, teams like that will be competing on the ice week in week out. And if and if Team GB can get together and get a result, we aren't sort of the, the best of the best in in this competition. We have to kind of admit that. But we do have some you know good players who can play. So if we can get a result you know, the next couple of days and push on from there, you know, all will be well in the camp.
1: No, certainly. Now moving on to the world of football, and we'll kick it off with Manchester United. A couple of games to finish off the season, a 1-1 draw against Fulham, and then they defeated Wolves two goals to one. They've come second overall this season. Are you happy with that, Rob?
0: Yeah, I think obviously what we expect and what, Oli can produce, are, are a bit far apart. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer knows this team isn't a Champions League uh, team for me, but he's developing it. It was great against Wolves. He put a few kids in uh, to give him experience, because obviously Wolves had, had a good side at Molyneux and, and to put the kids in that in them situations is only going to help them uh, and develop them further do I think it was a good season? Probably a little bit. Do I, do I expect too much being a United fan? Maybe. And you're just hoping Ollie gets a bit of funding in the off season and is able to pick a few players up will take us to that next level. What about you, James? What do you think?
1: I think all in all, Rob, if you look at it in, you know, perspective of the last few seasons and Manchester United maybe not performing that well, if you'd offered me second at the start of the season, I think I'd have bit your hand off for it. Manchester City, you know, have been almost unbeatable this season. They've had, I mean, since Christmas, they've been on they've just been on fire, haven't they? Simple and plain. So I'm very happy with a second place finish. I mean, I'm even more happy with the fact that we've managed to go unbeaten away from home, only the fourth uh, time that's ever happened, Arsenal doing it twice, and Preston North End actually being the other side to pull that off. But all in all, <laughs> if we can top this off with a win against Villarreal
0: and become Europa League champions, I think it's one one hell of a season. Yeah, there was a, a VAR uh, decision um, involving Don, Don van der Beek, uh, where the referee initially thought it was no penalty, but... Obviously, they look back, and there was a little contact with, with his ankle. I think it kind of shows that sometimes players kind of react, sort of fall over to that slightest of touch. And I don't think the challenge was enough to make him go down, but he did. And Mata turned up and scored the scored the goal, which is which is great for a Man United fan. But for footballers in, in general, is that is that the best idea? Because obviously, we look at these VAR decisions, and in slow motion, it does look a penalty. And, in reality, in technically, it is. But was, was there enough contact for him to go down? I doubt it much.
1: Yeah, it's one of them, isn't it, Rob? I mean, players are probably far less physical today than they used to be. I mean, you used to watch videos of George Best, didn't you're running through defender after defender, yeah. and not even think about going down. And now people seem to go down at the softest touch. And, you know, it's embedded into the game. Diving is almost, you know, part of it. And even if you're not diving, you may be not quite working hard enough to stand your feet. So the game's just different in that way. And I suppose players have to adapt with that.
0: Yeah, I suppose. I suppose you look at, you know, George Best, Pele, Maradona. You know, the, these top players were playing with with pitches that weren't the best. Footballs that weren't aerodynamic, and and they managed to produce fantastic moments. Obviously, you have got Lionel Messi now. You've got Cristiano Ronaldo. It's all set up for them to, to be able to do you know what they do. So it'd be interesting. We've had this conversation before about how each sort of player would react in a different um, year and a different you know way of playing. It's it's very interesting because obviously I think about the likes of George Best and and, and Pele. Back then, um, there wasn't much tactical video. You know, teams weren't sort of overanalyzed about where weaknesses were. So, would George Best have been able to open up defenses like he did if another team had a video of him? You know, from from the week before, knowing where he drift, what positions he drifted into, and they'd be able to kind of set that up to to defend against him. It's an interesting slant on on that debate on who the best players in the world are and have been in the past.
1: Most certainly, I mean, things are just different, aren't they? And I suppose it's it's that way in most sports. I mean, the footage is is often very different between you know what you have now and what you had then and it'll it'll be forever debated as to how well George Best for example would have done in this climate for me I think he would have done exceptionally well I really do but a player that's leaving Manchester United by the looks of it is one matter
0: I and he does go Rob will you be disappointed I, I think that one matter has been a, a good servant for Manchester United I think we've he's produced magic moments and he's been part of a good team is he the guy that's going to take Man United to, to the next level at this present time? No. Father the time is catching up with him and he's got and we've got better players and younger players to come in and replace him, you know we'll, we'll clap him off and we'll remember him fondly because obviously he was at Chelsea as well but before he came to United. So he's done some great things in the Premier League, um, and we wish him well wherever he goes. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I probably I'm, we'll miss him in in squad depth. But if Oli gets a bit of bit of funding and uh, gets some players in to 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 replace the likes of Mataru who are departing, it's only going to be good going forward.
1: Yeah. Now moving on to Manchester City, who also have a huge European clash ahead of them. But let's just break down their season quickly. Losing free three to to Brighton, not ideal, but finishing the season with a five nil victory over Everton. Last year, Liverpool took the Premier League, and this year Manchester City are back on top.
0: And probably the best team in England. Yeah, I'd agree with that, James. Pep Guardiola, best coach in the world, and he's surrounded by himself with wonderful talent in that Man City squad. They've got all the money in the world to improve on it as well. So you you seeing how this Man City juggernaut will roll and roll. We know obviously they've got big games to come in the European Cup final, and and it kind of you wonder what happens next. To Man City and to Pep Guardiola, because to be sort of known as a a great team, you've got to go and win a European Cup. So let's just say, for argument's sake, they beat Chelsea because Chelsea have already won a European Cup. So City win this one. Where does this leave City's owners? They've taken Man City from the, you know, getting beat 7 1 against, sorry, 9 1 I think it was against Middlesbrough away to the peak of sort of European. Football. Where where does that leave leave them? What can they take this team any further? Will they be hungry enough to keep ploughing money in to the club when they've reached the very top? And then you've got to think of Pep Guardiola as well. He's been on a journey with Man City. He takes them to the to the very top level, like he did with uh, with Barcelona. What's his thought process on this? Is he still got the hunger and the desire to take City on after taking them to the very top? Well,
1: I think you've got two very different perspectives there. We'll kick it off with the chairman. I mean, for me, for most of these chairmen of the big clubs, I mean, we just saw that Manchester City, you know, were part of that big Super League. So do they necessarily care about the game, the chairman's Probably not. They're plan is to make a sustainable business model that makes millions upon millions upon millions upon millions and success breeds success The more Manchester City win, the better for them. It's not the fact that they're going to reach the climax of the Champions League and that's going to be it for them. They want Champions League after Champions League after Champions League to generate more and more and more money. And that's their aim. They didn't take over just, you know, for a couple of seasons to have, you know, a Premier League and That be it. They want more and more and more. And they want to make more and more money. As for Pep Guardiola, he could well leave if Manchester City win the Champions League. That was his goal. That was, you know, his be-all and end-all. And, you know, he's done it with other sides, hasn't he? You know, your Barcelona, your Bayern Munich. He's won Champions League's there and he's moved on. He's wanted new challenges. And I think that could well be what he does if Manchester City win this one. They'll look for a new challenge.
0: Obviously, both our sides are in a European Cup final this week, James. Who's, which, which Cup final is most important to each club? Uh, the Europa League would be a great win
1: for Manchester United. I think it would mean a lot for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, obviously, him winning the Champions League for Manchester United back in ninety nine, And I know he's not going to win the Champions League as a manager, but you know, winning some form of European competition will mean a great deal to him. But I think by far, it's the Champions League for Manchester City. Not only for one that it's the bigger tournament, but it's the last missing piece of the puzzle. They've done so well in the league, haven't they? I mean, they've won FA Cuts, they've won League Cuts. They've been absolutely fantastic. The only thing they need to solidify their legacy as one of the greatest teams in world football is to win a Champions League. The fans have never seen this done before, and it'll mean absolutely everything to them. My question to you, Rob, is do they win? Yes, they've been fantastic all season. But Chelsea beat them last time they
0: played and you know that'll hold a psychological advantage for them. It's gonna be a big it's gonna be a big tough game, James, because everyone keeps talking about Man City being an elite European club. But to be in that bracket, you've got to win the European Cup and they've got all the money in the world, they've got the best coach in the world, they've got arguably the best players in the world, but it all comes down to that eight that ninety minutes and Chelsea you know, on a on a pretty good sort of run of farm, really, since that since the new coach came in, they've got nothing to lose going into this this cup final. James, everyone expects Man City to go and win, even though Chelsea have beat them in in the in the in the league and and in the cup, and it's kind of a difficult situation because the longer the game goes on, the more pressure is on Pep and City to go and win it. If Chelsea score early, anything could happen. You know, we we know. Pressure does silly things to people, and it's going to be fascinating to, to see see what happens. Talking about sort of pressure, and um, the players as well uh, that are involved in these in these sort of two finals. Sort of mixed emotions, really. You've got uh, Harry Maguire who's struggling with with, a, with an injury. Will Will he make the the, the final? The kingpin of, of Man United's defence going into this final without him will be a, will be a, will be a really really strange and tough place to be and then you've got Aguero who's, who's finishing his career at Manchester City opportunity to to possibly score the winner and and take City to the promised land and it's it's a kind of a a mixed emotion there that, that both players will be will be going through
1: yeah most certainly Harry Maguire you know probably won't be in the Europa League final and he'll be absolutely devastated about that he'll have done anything to have carried a medal for Manchester But if it's not to be, it's not to be. As for Sujo Aguero, what a career he's had for Manchester City. And I want to leave with an impact, you know, in the same way Didier Drogba did for Chelsea all those years ago. But we've seen with Aguero, when it really mattered, he scored a winning goal, didn't he, for Manchester City years ago. I mean, everybody remembers when he scored that last-minute winner and Manchester City won the Premier League. I mean, the commentary is iconic. So it'd just be like him to get the winning goal here and he'll leave a massive stamp on Manchester City but to include a quick look over the Premier League Rob uh, City first United second Liverpool coming in third and at one point it looked like they wouldn't even make Europa League football I mean I'm shocked they've
0: managed to make it I'm shocked as well James but I'm also shocked that the show's nearly over big thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat